All right. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be looking at Ephesians verses 18, 19, and 20. And then uh, if we have time, we'll get into uh, uh, chapter 2 a little bit. So Pastor Rick taught us from Ephesians 19, uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians 17, about the revelation of wisdom by the Holy Spirit. And then Paul continues on in verse 18, discussing that he wants, he's asking that the Christians in, in Ephesus and Asia Minor would, uh, that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, their understanding be enlightened, to know the hope of their calling, to know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. So there's three specific things that Paul is asking God to, uh, to bless the Ephesian churches with it. And that's hope, inheritance, and power. Now hope is a, hope is a word that uh, is a very powerful word that, that is full of possibilities because your hope is, is, is when you are expecting something in the future in a positive way. Your, your it's positive attitude towards it, positive outlook towards the future. You hope something to come to pass. Okay, it's the opposite of dread. Dread means that there's a negative expectation for the future. Okay, let me say it again. Now, Paul is asking that the, that the churches in Ephesus and, 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 and those surrounding in Asia Minor who, who would have read this letter, had it read to them, uh, is saying, I want you to know that there is hope. In other words, Paul is saying that for the Christian, it's not that everything is hunky-dory all the time, but there's always hope. And so the world is full of dread. Now, dread is a negative expectation of the future. Dreading the future, right? You think about the future and you feel negatively towards it. It's not going to be good. Hope is the opposite. Positive expectation of the future. It's going to, my God is going to be victorious in my life. Let me ask you something. Are you struggling with that feeling of dread that the future doesn't hold anything for you? You know, that's okay, honestly. I'm not going to condemn anybody from that. I've gone through that. Life circumstances make it more difficult to hold on to hope sometimes. That's a, that's a normal Christian experience. And so, what is this hope? Paul is exhorting the churches that we are to be filled with hope. Okay? Uh, Peter, Peter in 1 Peter 1.14 says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your Hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. There's hope in Jesus. One of, our, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So hope is necessary for a Christian. Hope is necessary. The antidote of despair 
when things go wrong in life. That's hope. It's the antidote of despair. Life is not going to go how we think it will. And despair, gloom, will begin to come in. But hope is the antidote. Hope in Jesus. Hope that God's plans for us are greater than anything that we could imagine. Reminder that our current circumstances do not determine the final outcome. Sometimes the circumstance in our minds gets bigger than our God. Happens to all of us sometimes. Right? And so this is a Bible study encouraging you that your God has plans for your life that are actually better than something you could come up with. Amen? So where does hope come from? Let me tell you where it doesn't come from. The power of positive thinking. Oh, man. That is a hole that will send you down a rabbit trail and you'll never get out of it. The power of positive thinking. Right? That's that's a popular thing these days, right? There's books out there about that. Just think positive. Everything will be fine. Just think positive. Oftentimes... Let me just say a quick note on that. Just This is life experience. I didn't read a book on this. What I've noticed is oftentimes people who depend on positive thinking, what they do is they simply ignore anything that's negative. So they don't deal with problems in life. They just ignore problems. They ignore situations that cause trouble because they just want to be positive. So they just completely ignore anything that's negative. And you can't do that. You have to face life and deal with it. Okay? So hope does not come from ourselves. It's not a pep talk and we just, you know, kind of drum up hope within ourselves, you know, and it's, it's not that. We don't hope in earthly governments. And, and we've seen that, right, you know, uh, where things seem to go the way you want it to in, 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 your, in our country. I'm an American, so, you know, I, I see this, where people will say our country is just not what it used to be, and so there's this sense of despair that just comes in. That it, it all is lost because our country is no longer, we've lost all the greatness that we were. And, and you know, I'm not, I'm not here to make any comments on that. I'm simply saying we don't put our hope in earthly governments. We, we need to pray for our government leaders. We need to be involved as much as possible. We need to vote. We need to to ask the Lord how we can be a part of making our society better. But our hope is not in earthly governments or financial security. I mean, we could say all kinds of things, right? Relationship status. That's one, right? If if I have if my if my relationship is good, then I feel good about life and I and I can enjoy my days. If my relationships are not going well, then you know. Uh, all is lost, right? Flush it down the toilet. And that's putting your hope in other people. We can't do that. So where does it come from? Well, our hope actually comes from God's faithfulness. Because, see, if, if hope is dependent on our ability or somebody else or, or something in this earth, then it's going to fail. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. 
Now let me read that again. Catch this. The hope is dependent on the person who made the promise. But let me read it again. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So it's the, it's the faithfulness of God that gives us the ability to hold on to hope because we know who our God is. And if our God is faithful, then our hope is secure. And that's why we can't hope in things in other people. That's why our hope can't be in earthly governments or earthly institutions or even or even relationships, uh, though, though we need to value them and invest in them and take time working on them, sure. Okay, but our, but our hope, our positive expectation towards what's going to happen with our life in the future, it can't be based off of those things. It has to be based off of who God is. And our God is faithful. We serve a faithful God who will not leave us or forsake us. So let me ask you a question then. Have you been struggling with despair? Have you felt like you've lost hope? Have you, are you in a place where it doesn't feel like anything in the future is going to have anything good for you? I would encourage you that your God hasn't left you. Though your circumstances may be failing you, your God has not failed you. And your God is still faithful to you. You will come out of this time. You will come, hear me now, you will come out of this time when things are so hard and things are so down. Amen. Let's go to inheritance. And uh, um, I don't have quite as many notes on inheritance, but I did want to read... Matthew twenty five thirty four because Paul says to the churches that it's important that we understand that we have an inheritance in God. And he's asking that God would open their hearts to understand that. So let's look at Matthew twenty five thirty four. This is as a, uh, out of a parable that Jesus tells about the king and the you know, the people who come and some are no good and some are good. <laughs> this summary. Then the king shall say to those on his right, in other ones, those who are worthy of the kingdom, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the inheritance is actually the full kingdom. And Paul, actually, Paul begins to say here um, that as we were raised with Christ and he goes on and, and talks about how we are co-heirs with Christ. I lost the verse now. If you all find it, let me know. But he talks about how we are co-heirs with Christ. In other words, we are going to inherit the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is just... That, that, that's just... That's more than my mind can comprehend. The kingdom. The kingdom is the grace of God. The kingdom is salvation. The kingdom of, is healing. The kingdom is worship and praise. The kingdom is being in the presence of God. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's a mouthful. Peter tells us about our inheritance. It's imperishable. It's undefiled, meaning it's holy, it's pure. And it will not fade away. It's reserved for you in heaven. It's not going away. Nobody's going to come along and take it. So be at peace about that. You will inherit the kingdom of God. You have a place in heaven with the Father. Amen? You are a co-heir with Christ. You are a part of the family of God. Now the last one is power. Paul prays that the Ephesian churches would understand the power, the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power. So what do I have to say about this? Well, what does this tell me? This tells me that Paul is expecting that Christian believers should not be powerless. Christians are expected to be full of the power of God. Now, that, that's quite an expectation because many times we feel powerless, don't we? Can you relate to the to that feeling of being powerless in life? It's a terrible feeling, you know, that feeling that you just can't do anything to help. I looked up, uh, you know, there's different kinds of power. I looked up the strongest man in the world competition. <laughs> you know, power lifting, right? They have to pick up these all kinds of they have to pick up these giant stone balls and put them on a pedestal. It's called the atlas, whatever. And then they have to move big rocks from here to there and they have to lift all kinds of, you know, they have to pull things. They have to pull cars, lift cars, and strongest man in the world, right? That's one kind of power. I looked up this thing and I just had some fun. Like, you know, thinking about power. What's the most powerful thing? The most powerful machine in the world, all right? The large... Hadron Collider. The Large Hadron Collider. It's said to be the largest machine in the world. It's the biggest and most powerful particle collider ever built. It inhabits a tunnel that's 17 miles long beneath the France-Switzerland border. Okay? So it's this uh, a giant tube, 17 miles long. And it says, this machine has been used to test different scientific theories of particle physics and to help assist in research into unsolved scientific questions and theories. Isn't that fascinating? Cindy's over there going, oh my goodness, yeah, why did you bring that in? Over 10,000 scientists in 100 countries have been involved in the production and use of this machine in order to answer fundamental scientific questions and establish basic laws of different theories of particle physics. 17 miles long. What does this thing do? What would happen to my body if I got inside of it and they turned it on? <laughs> you know, I'd be broken up into a million pieces. That's a powerful machine. 
I want you to know that the Holy Spirit of God is more powerful than that machine. This machine is 17 miles long. The Holy Spirit covers the entire earth. What kind of power is Paul talking about? The power to raise the dead. The Hadron Collider can't do that. It cannot bring to life a person who had died three days after. This is living power. Power to pray for the sick and they be healed. Power to command demons to leave and they obey. Power to preach Jesus boldly and see people saved. Power to pray for your family and see change. If you feel powerless today, I want to suggest to you uh, that you feel that way But that's not the truth. You see, the devil wants us to make us feel one way and to think, make us think that our emotions determine our reality. Oh, that's a pretty good statement. I think I need to say that again. The devil wants to make us think that our emotions determine our reality. So if I feel powerless, I must be powerless. No. Because, see, Paul says in the Scripture that we have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living inside of us today. If you are a Christian and you're submitted to the Holy Spirit of God, then that power is available for you today to live your Christian life. So I want to ask you to not pay attention to your emotions so much if they're feeling down, but read the Word of God and say, God, I'm going to believe that I have power today through the power of the Holy Spirit, not because I feel like it, but because you say I've got it. They begin to speak life into things that the devil is just trying to destroy you about it. And I believe you will begin to see some change. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. It's a living power that we can speak life. You know, Paul then just... the book, Our Bible divides the chapters here and chapter 2 begins with verse 1. But for Paul, it's really a continuation of the thought. See, Paul says, and you he made alive who were dead. In other words, you know, God raised Jesus from the dead through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same power is what saved you from your sins. The power of the Holy Spirit. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So there's a power of the prince of the air and then there's a power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, which is the saving power of God. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, that's the power of the air, among whom also we have once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh. So Paul is making a comparison here. He's saying, you once were under this power, but now you have an exceedingly great power that you can live your life. So don't submit to that other power anymore. Fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I'll stop there. I want you to know that the living power of the Holy Spirit is inside of you today. You have hope for the future. 
You have an inheritance of the kingdom waiting for you that is imperishable and undefiled. And the Holy Spirit is available to give you power to face all that life brings and be a vessel of honor for the kingdom today. Hope you have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow morning as Pastor Rick continues our study in the book of Ephesians. Hope you have a great day. Hey.